millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Pregnancy is an exciting time full of hope and wonder and even trepidation. The addition of a child changes a person's life forever. And for victims of fetal abduction in the United States, their lives were brutally changed in a way they could never have imagined. In this series, we will explore cases of fetal abduction in America, from the highly publicized cases to the little known and every case in between. Join me, your host, Erica Kelly, for Fetal Abduction, a true crime podcast. It's a new podcast where we take a closer look at this rare yet heinous crime. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Fetal Abduction Pod and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm your host, Colleen. Tonight's episode takes us to the Bay Area, where we will look into two little-known unsolved cases with a lot of striking similarities. Both cases involve the murders of newly married couples who were found in their homes, and both couples were described as nice and quiet and devoted to their children. Both couples were discovered by one of their children, And decades later, neither couple's family are any closer to any answers as to who is responsible for the murders. Our first case tonight takes us to Daly City, a large, culturally diverse city located south of San Francisco, to the quiet cul-de-sac of Nelson Court, which was home to Philip and Cheryl Beatles. On October 17, 1975, Leslie Beatles was awoken from his sleep by a strange popping sound. Thinking it might be time to get up and go on his paper route, Leslie checked his watch and saw that it was still the middle of the night. He didn't hear anything else, so he assumed the sound was something innocent, maybe the house settling or one of his parents or siblings turning a light on. He rolled over and went back to sleep, and when he woke up again, it was time to get up for his paper route. He got up, got dressed, and made his way to the front door. Upon seeing that the front door was open, he went looking for his parents, and when he got to the family room, he found them. Philip and Cheryl Beatles were newlyweds who had just started their lives together. Philip Donald Beatles had recently celebrated his 35th birthday, 
He worked in insurance, and according to some reports, he either worked out of his home or was just based there part-time. Philip was born and raised in Decatur, Illinois, and he moved to the Bay Area in his mid-20s. He was married to Barbara Jean, but the pair divorced in 1974, and their four children, then aged between 9 and 14, lived with Philip and his new wife, Cheryl. Cheryl Phyllis Beatles, or Sherry to her friends, was a 26-year-old Canadian native originally from Quebec. Cheryl had divorced her first husband, who was an insurance underwriter named Richard Allen Bigelow, in 1973. By April of 1975, Philip and Cheryl were married and living in a modest family home on Nelson Court. Neighbors described the couple as nice people who kept to themselves. Their children were central in their lives, and Philip and Cheryl were at every Little League game that their kids played in. The family enjoyed going on weekend trips together, and the children were described as well-behaved and seemed to be happy. In the early hours of October 17, 1975, Leslie Beadle, who was around 13 at the time, awoke to an odd sound, but didn't think much of it before going back to sleep. One of his three other siblings also reported hearing a crash around 2.30 a.m., but didn't hear anything else and didn't investigate and just went back to sleep. When Leslie got up for his paper round around 7.30, he found that the front door to their home was open and went to look for his parents. When he entered the living room, he saw a frightening and bloody scene. His father and stepmother were laying on a blood-soaked mattress in the middle of the floor. They had both been bound, gagged, and killed. Early reports stated that Philip had been shot in the back of the head while Cheryl had been hit, perhaps with the back of an axe. The police were contacted and soon arrived to secure the scene. Barbara Jean, Philip's first wife and the mother of his four children, was called to first collect the kids and also to be interviewed. Police stated that she was helpful and cooperative, but nothing came of any of the information that she was able to provide. Three teams of Daly City detectives were assigned to the case. They searched the house, and apart from the room where the bodies were found, they found nothing out of place and even commented how meticulously clean the rest of the house was. A book of nearly 100 names and addresses was found in the living room, and police quickly discovered that the Beatles had been members of a couples club in the area, and the book contained the details of their contacts for that club. Police got to work contacting everyone from the book and initially thought that they had a couple of leads. However, none of them panned out and that angle of investigation was abandoned. Of course, ex-partners are always on the interview list and Philip's ex-wife was interviewed when she arrived to pick up her kids. Cheryl's ex-husband Richard was also contacted. Richard was living and working in Oregon at the time and there was no further reporting on him. It's assumed that he had an alibi, and he wasn't questioned further. There were several contradictions in the early reporting of this case. In the first article printed, it said that there were no signs of forced entry or a struggle, suggesting that the Beatles were killed by someone they knew, or someone that they willingly let into their home. 
However, the very next day, a correction was printed and police confirmed that it appeared that the house had been broken into. It was also reported that Cheryl was killed with a blunt object, like the back of an axe, and both Philip and Cheryl were slashed. The secondary information was also corrected after the autopsy, which revealed that both Philip and Cheryl had died from a gunshot wound to the back of the head with a large caliber weapon. Details of the murder weapon have not been released. Their funerals were held on October 24, 1975, and they were interned at Olivet Memorial Park. After their funerals, there is no more information about the couple in the investigation. Police have never announced any suspects, and there have been no reporting on the method the killers used to enter the house, whether they left fingerprints, or if any evidence was preserved that could possibly hold DNA that today's testing methods could detect. Online, people have wondered if Joseph D'Angelo, also known as the Golden State Killer, or if the Zodiac Killer could possibly be responsible for the Beatles' deaths. However, they haven't been linked officially to either killer, most likely because the timing and MO are slightly off. The leads obtained from the couple's club book early in the investigation didn't go anywhere, and police are no closer to knowing who is responsible for these murders. Unfortunately, this case has just gone cold. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our next case this episode takes us to the other side of the Bay Area, 43 miles away and 11 years later, to the city of Dublin, and home of Harve and Kiko Ringheim. Starting over in a new country is exciting and scary, and a new beginning is something that so many people dream and wish for. The possibilities, the opportunities, and the excitement of what to come are exactly what Kiko Nagatomo anticipated when she arrived in the United States from Japan as an exchange student in 1978. 
She was seeking what all new immigrants are seeking, the American dream. Being the victim of a double homicide, however, was not part of her plans. The beginning of Kiko and Harv's relationship was not what you would call traditional. Harv ran a well-respected veterinarian's clinic, the Diablo View Veterinary Medical Hospital in Pleasant Hill, and he was married to his third wife, Suzanne, when Kiko arrived from Japan. Harv and Suzanne sponsored Kiko's visa and invited her to live in their home. Harv and Suzanne had two young daughters, Amy and Beth, and everyone lived together at their house in Dublin. Eventually, Kiko moved back to Japan, and Suzanne and Harv divorced. They remained civil and shared custody of their two children, with them visiting Harv on the weekends. Then, in 1984, Kiko moved back to America and began a whirlwind romance with Harv. Within months, they were living together in a bungalow in Dublin, a city located in the East Bay. They were married on March 22, 1985, and despite the unusual start to their relationship and their 12-year age difference, Kiko was 29 and Harv was 41, Kiko and Harv appeared to have a good marriage. Their neighbors said that they were tidy and quiet and they kept to themselves, but not in a rude way, they just liked their privacy. Harv and Suzanne Ringheim continued to share custody of their children. On Fridays, Suzanne would drop one or both of her daughters off at Harv and Kiko's and would wait until they had opened the door and given her a wave before driving off. On Friday, the 24th of January, 1986, Suzanne drove nine-year-old Beth to Harv and Kiko's house. It was not said why 13-year-old Amy was not with them that day. Beth got out of her mom's car and walked to the front door. It was around 5 p.m., which is generally the time that the kids were expected to arrive. The door was always left unlocked for her, but on this day, it was open. This was Beth's first clue that something was different, but she didn't think much of it, because after all, she was only nine years old. Beth walked into the house and saw something that no child should ever see. Her dad and stepmother were bound with duct tape and laying dead on the living room floor. Harv had been stabbed multiple times in the head, neck, and chest, and was laying in a pool of his own blood. Kiko was lying nearby with duct tape over her mouth and her head in a bucket of water. There were no stab wounds on Kiko, and it wasn't discovered until the autopsy that she had died of strangulation. Beth called out to her dad, not knowing what she had discovered, and when Harv didn't answer, Beth realized that something was very wrong. She ran from the house and looked in the street for her mother's car, but her mom had already driven off. The wave Beth gave her meant that all was well, and no one could have predicted what was on the other side of the door. Beth ran to her neighbor's house, and the neighbor kept her safe there and called the police. At 5.24, police arrived and secured the scene. Crime scene tape surrounded the property, and the police found Harv and Kiko dead in the living room, with no signs of a struggle anywhere else in the house. Their house was neat and tidy, save for a drawer in the master bedroom that appeared to have been rifled through. It was quickly apparent that robbery was not the motive. 
Harv's wallet and Kiko's purse were on the couch, and there were conflicting reports as to whether or not they had been emptied out. No jewelry was missing, and nothing was out of order apart from the one drawer in the bedroom. It appeared that the killer, or killers, had been let into the house as there was no evidence of forced entry. They were also careful because police found no fingerprints or shoe prints in the house. Six detectives were assigned to the case, and they got to work, but they had so little to go on, it was a struggle right from the get-go. They were able to come up with a timeline of the days leading up to the murders, as well as gather some details about the day of the murder. Police hoped to pinpoint the time that the killer or killers entered the house in hopes that some witnesses may come forward. The Ringheim's house was near an intersection and directly across the road from the high school, so they weren't in the middle of nowhere and police were sure that someone must have seen something. Police interviewed all the neighbors as well as the staff and students from the high school. The students and the staff from the high school didn't see anything unusual, and the neighbors all said the same thing, that the Ringheims were nice and they kept their property neat and kept to themselves. They didn't seem to have any enemies, and no one knew who on earth would want to kill the couple, let alone in such a violent manner. Harv and Kiko loved skiing, and they had taken advantage of the cold winter weather and taken a midweek ski trip. They had only arrived back home on Thursday the 23rd, which was the day before they were killed. Their movements for the rest of Thursday are unknown. At 8 a.m. on the morning of the murders, a man was seen on the Ringheim's lawn by a neighbor when the neighbor was heading to work. The neighbor didn't think much of it and didn't tell police about it till some time later. A composite sketch of the man on the lawn was made, but it didn't lead anywhere. And it might be that the man seen on the lawn may not be connected at all. Around 10 a.m., Harv was seen at a local car wash, and it is assumed that he went straight home from the car wash as there were no reports of him being seen elsewhere that day. Neighbors reported that they heard a commotion and what sounded like muffled gunshots coming from the direction of the Ringheim home around 1 p.m. Although no one reported this at the time, and there was no evidence of firearms being used in the attack. From the evidence, police surmised that the killer had entered the home while Harv was at the car wash and attacked Kiko. They bound her hands and put tape over her mouth, and when Harv arrived home, he was attacked and stabbed multiple times in his head, neck, and chest. It has been suggested that the bucket of water that Kiko's head was in was used to torture her to get information. However, there is no evidence as to what the killers were hoping to discover. All information led police to believe that the murders happened between 10 a.m. and 2.30 p.m., and that the killer had spent an extended period of time in the house that day. These murders were not something that was done in a rush, and they were careful to leave as little evidence as possible behind. After establishing a timeline, detectives tried to define a motive. In reporting from January 26, police say that the killer or killers may have been trying to extract information from Kiko about Harve 
but what information he would possess, they did not know. By the 28th, police had decided that the evidence supported there being more than one assailant. With very few leads and almost no evidence, the case very quickly went cold. In early 2006, police tried to get a $50,000 reward for any information leading to a break in the case. Then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger approved the reward in March of 2006, and police anxiously awaited new tips, but they never came. The reward didn't result in any new leads, and yet again the case went cold. In 1986, when the murders occurred, DNA was rarely used in criminal cases, and DNA testing was not done in this case. However, items were taken and stored in the hopes that one day DNA evidence might be used. In 2011, new DNA technology allowed investigators to confirm their theory that there were two killers, and they were both male. The profile was not good enough to be run through databases or to be used for an identification. However, detectives are hopeful that as the technology continues to improve and evolve, one day it may be possible to gain more information from the DNA that is available. In cases like this one, the chances of being solved seem to be very low. Short of a huge leap in DNA technology or new witnesses coming forward, or even better, a confession, we may never know the answers to the many questions that remain. Resources for cold cases are always being reduced, and police are forced to redistribute staff to where there is the greatest need, which is another stumbling block for police and victims' families. Beth, the daughter who discovered her father and stepmother that afternoon, is now in her 40s. She works as a marriage and family therapist and has said in an interview that she has never really recovered from the trauma of losing her father or seeing him and her stepmother that day. All she hopes for now is that one day she will have answers and closure. And that wraps up the show for this week. Thank you for listening. And a huge thank you to Jess for her research and writing in this episode. For more information on this episode, please visit the website misconductpodcast.com. You'll find links to source material and further reading on this episode and more information about misconduct. If you have a second, head on over to my social media pages and let me know what you think about this week's episode and share your thoughts and opinions with other listeners. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. If you have a case that you would like to see covered, I have a case submission tab on my website, and you can find a link to it in my show notes. I really like taking suggestions from listeners, so if you submit a case, I will do my best to cover it on a future episode.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.